All right. I'm going to read, then pray, and then get in the text. Starting 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Paul writes to the church of Corinth, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, we, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. Verse 12, for we don't commend ourselves again to you, but give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we're out of sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let's pray. The true and living God, we come to you again on this Sunday. And Father, we pray that Help us to have an uncluttered mind, an uncluttered spirit, and just let the Word do its beautiful, encouraging, instructive, exhortative, and kind of spank us work. Let the Word do its job, that we may become more and more like Jesus, looking in a glass dimly, but soon, mano e mano, we look forward to that great time. Father, we pray for Pastor Tim and Heidi and John and Ramona and the baby. We pray to use this time to minister to him and use him and, per and, and sculpt him. Lord, we, bless, we pray for the other churches around here the Methodists, the Adventists, the Baptists, those crazy non-denominationals, Calvary Chapel, Cornerstone, the Cornerstone Church. We just pray for them, Lord. Bless them. Use them. Crossroads, the ones in Modesto and the Roundest. Just bless them, Lord. Assemblies of Gods, the Pentecostals, the Charismatics. Just bless them, Lord. We thank you that you're continuing to work here in this area. Jesus' name.
Amen. All right, have a seat. Mark Twain, my father would tell me the story, so I apologize if I don't say it correctly, if you know the story better than I do. Of course, I was an up-and-coming youngster, upstart young man, and my father would say, Mark Twain would say, when I was teens and a teenager, my father knew nothing at all about life. And of course, when I moved away and when I became 20s and so lived in on my own, and then I saw my father again, I was surprised how quickly he learned so much in such a short amount of time. <laughs> so... Something happens when uh, you become a teenager and all of a sudden, boom, right? You, got, you just know everything about everything. And then, of course, when you move on and you actually have to learn the price of deodorant and all this stuff on your own and then saving money and time and all those lessons. Like, wow, how did dad get so fat and get smart so quickly? Well, what happening was, was in this church, Paul had established this church on his second missionary journey, if you remember, in the book of Acts. He stayed there for a year and a half, of course, caused some uh, consternations there. Uh, a lot of the people hated what it was doing because Jesus was changing the lives, taking the lives away from the temples and for the money, and they were losing money on, immorally, and people were growing in Christ, and it was, there was becoming an issue, and there were becoming riots. And, in fact, based upon, probably based upon another experience, Paul was my even got afraid and discouraged because Jesus even went to him and said, Paul, don't be afraid. Now, if God ever says to you or Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's probably because you are afraid, you are nervous. God encouraged uh, Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. So Jesus encouraged Paul, don't be afraid, a mighty man of Paul. He even says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he was despaired even of life. So the mighty man of Paul, possibly nervous, he was stoned in Derby. And so possibly he was anxious, apprehensive. Jesus ministered to him, don't be afraid, serve here. I have many people in this city. And so Paul stayed there for a year and a half. Corinth was like a San Francisco, an L.A., a Chicago, a Las Vegas, just a big metropolitan city. Crossroads was an isthmus between certain cities, and it was just a big trading town, a lot of money town, a lot of mowing flowing. So if you have a lot of money flowing, you got usually a lot of carnality and trade going on. And but God had a church planted here. He loved these people, and these people were following God. Yet at the same time, a lot of the world was coming into the church. They weren't separating themselves. They weren't being distinct Christians. They were what we call backsliding or carnal Christians. And so Paul had to write, we know at least three letters to them. The first two are corrective, and then the one's really corrective, instructive, and the second one, he actually now has to start to uh, defend himself. Because what was happening is as church was growing in the Lord, these other know-it-alls started trying to help them with the walk with Jesus, even as we learn in chapters 8 9, turning away from the simplicity of the gospel, away from the simplicity of the life in Jesus Christ. And Paul said, look, watch out for these deceivers. They come like angels of light, just like Satan. But they're taking you away from the person of Jesus onto other things. Watch out for these, and I call them teenagers, or these know-it-alls who know a little bit of spirituality, but they're trying to take you away. And these, kind of these people who are taking him away are giving Paul a bad rap, a bad name. And so Paul writes a second letter to correct him 
encourage them on some things, and even to say, hey, I'm your dad. I'm the one God used to birth you. What are you doing? I'm the one who loved you and sacrificed for you. If you look at verse Verse 12, for we don't commend ourselves again to you, but give you an opportunity to boast on our, Paul's behalf, that you might have an answer for those who boast in appearance, but not in heart. So he says, listen, I'm going to give you an answer about us so you can give an appropriate answer about us to these know-it-alls. And then last time I shared, uh, the heartbeat for ministry is the love of Christ. As we see the Christ and the cross of Jesus, his heartbeat for us, we respond, our heartbeat for him, and accordingly, that should be the heartbeat for others. If we lost the heartbeat for others, often it's because we've lost the heartbeat. We've turned away from the cross and the love of Jesus. But then, moving on, Paul now makes a new point about in verse 16. And he says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we have known him thus no longer. This verse might seem contradictory, crazy. What does this even mean right here? We know we don't know any according to the flesh, yet we used to know Christ according to the flesh. Now we don't know Christ according to the flesh. What's going on? Back and forth stuff. Now, if you take the time, you see some of these weird verses that seem to kind of contradict themselves or not to make sense. One thing to do, and of course, what, what I love to share and teach and learn is the inductive Bible study. Inductive Bible is where we, we ask as many questions as we can about our verse from any angle, and then we try to answer those questions, and then accordingly and legitimately, how can we apply to this? So if you look at this verse, and if you ever want to take inductive Bible study or here's just one lesson, write it out or type it out and just start asking as many questions as you can about this verse. For example, what is the word, what do we mean we regard according to the flesh? What does the flesh mean? Is that spiritual? Does that mean human skin? Uh, is the word regard and known? Are there two different parallels going on? What's the Greek word of regard? What's the Greek word of uh, 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 to know? How did, what does it mean? What's the parallel between knowing Christ in the flesh and not what's the opposite in the flesh? Is it the spirit? Does this verse even have to be in the text? What, what would happen if I take this verse out of the text? Is there anything that might be in the text I think is there that's not there? So as you write all these questions out and then one-on-one -on -one systematically start to answer them, the uh, clues will come in. And actually as you answer them and then, then consult the commentaries if you see if you're right or not. But right here, the first on, from there now on, we regard no one alongside to the flesh. And this word flesh, as some of you may or may not know, is a key word Paul likes to use. Jesus even used in the book of John. It's the Greek word sarx, and it could mean in your human skin, in your epidermis, or it could also mean just the natural way man thinks without being born again in the spirit, and just this natural way. For example, when a boy sees a girl, when you, if you're a little kid, you naturally throw things at her or call them names. You get hormones changed and actually you think they're pretty and like, oh, that was, maybe they've changed. 
or uh, you see a cookie, you want to eat the cookie if no one's claimed it. The natural flesh, the natural way how we respond to things. If you're in the spirit, you see them according to how God would want you to do it. You would put others first. You see that pretty young girl, you pray for her, and Lord, what should I do with this girl? God says, turn your eyes, don't ever think about it again. And then you see a cookie, and in the spirit you think, who else needs a cookie? I don't need a cookie. Maybe someone else would be blessed about the cookie. So there's the fleshly way or the natural man's way of looking at life, how the world sees things. And then there's just the spiritual way, how God wants us to see things, how he sees man, and accordingly how he wants us to view other brothers and sisters in Christ and other people in the world. So right here we see in verse uh, 16, we regard no one according to the, to the flesh. So Paul is saying right here, as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, and even with these little teenage upstarts who are trying to change your mind, the mature way how we view others is not according to how the natural man thinks. And how does the natural man view others? Generally, we like those who like us and we push away those we don't like who don't like us, right? And the Spirit says, the mind of the Spirit, I will lay down my life for you. I will love you. I will love my enemies, as Jesus said. You love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We we are gentle with them, even if they're not gentle with us, so we can be the aroma of Christ to them. Why? Because while we were still enemies to God, God loved us. He first loved us, sent Jesus, and then we became loving him back. Love always initiates. And so he says, we don't, to be a mature Christian, we don't think as the natural man does. We don't have and try to have pride over others. Now, I don't know about you, but where I work, I, I work in a seniority-based job, and we have a union, and if you have a union, you have rank-and-file systems. And so often, in case, it's not, so much who, it's not so much who is the best talented or the most qualified for the job, who gets the job. This is the person with seniority who's got the most time, right? Sometimes it's good because they got the most time, therefore they should know better, but is that often the case? <laughs> no. Who's got the longest time? Often we call the truck, because he sits there and does nothing like a rider truck. Plop. They get the cushy jobs while the youngsters have to earn their way out to get the good job, regardless if they're good at it or not. That's the weakness of the rank-and-file system. But how it works is some people will always remind you how much time they got. Or if there's a showdown at work, well, how much time you got? How much time you got? How much time you got in? So they're always trying to rank themselves up. If you can't see the military bars right here, we're going to square each other right now. And I'm going to remind you right now in a gentle way, I got pulled. 
over you. How much time you got? How many years you got in? If you got stripes on your left sleeve, you know, in the, in the uh, law enforcement or police, you'll see stripes. Usually one stripe means three years in service. So we call it, they have mustard all up the arm or french fries. You start counting it times three. Oh, he's got some time in. All right. And so, but they'll say, how much time you got in? And I was working with this one person and we're just talking. And so, yeah, but I got, you know, I got more time than you. I got, I got seven more years on you. Which, which was a saying, no matter what, I will always be better than you. I'll always have more pull than you. Don't you forget it. Right? That's the natural man. Always, I got something on you. That's the natural man. How can I get above? Any way I can, if you're bigger than me or handsome or me or obviously more qualified, I'm going to let you know I got more time. And we do this anyway. That's the natural man. And here in the church, we got to be careful. And this can happen subtly in the church because we don't have the natural man. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ in church. And the enemy will come any way he can to cause little bits of division, even petty little things. And instead of always having the mindset to love others or prefer others or pray for others, sometimes our flesh is, if for whatever reason we don't like them, we can find a little angle, oh, at least I don't act like this, or at least I'm smarter than them, or at least I've been in this church longer, or whatever. And we have this little natural fleshly mind over them, and therefore we have a mindset for that. And I was at a church, a Calvary Chapel, and we're at the table, and for whatever reason, I didn't think this, this woman uh, liked me, or for whatever reason, just maybe a personality conflict. I think I mentioned, yeah, we've been here for a couple years, you know, and just, I think just making general conversation. Of course, I'm always nice in these, in these uh, stories. And then she said, well, we've been here 11 years from the beginning. Don't know what that means in eternity with Christ, but okay, yes, you've been here since the beginning, you know, or like with this church. I've been here for a few years. Well, I've known Pastor Tim. Well, I've known Pastor Pat. Well, I've known Pastor Tim when he was in the school of ministry, you know, or I've known him when he was a teenager, when he was up in the mountains. Well, I know him when he was before he was born, you know, and so and sometimes we can take little squabbles in our head or whatever and, and divide them. And that's just one example. And so here in this church, Divisions were coming along, and they weren't having the mind of Christ for each other. Uh, as being a father and having four wonderful children, and for those who have children, you look at your children much differently than the siblings look at each other. And so, as a father, why can't we just Pretend we like each other. <laughs> now, my kids get along. Well, they, they, they allow each other to exist. No, they, you know, they, they, there's love. But obviously, there's, I have a great, different love for them because they're my children. I wanted these children. I love these children. I, I see them, hopefully, as equals and all this stuff. And I want them blessed in a different way. And sometimes, they treat each other like, where did this come from? Why are you treating each other like this? I don't get it. You know, because they're in the natural man. And then God would sometimes wonder, as sometimes in the church, sometimes, why, I love every one of you. I shed the blood of Jesus Christ for every single person of you, from the person coming off the street to the godly 90-year-old woman saint who's given everything, including her husband. I love you all. 
I love you all the same. My, the blood of Jesus is just as valuable to him as to her, you know? And so, you know, sometimes we get these little ditties from each other. Well, that's because, God, you wanted to die for them, not me. I didn't want to die for them. You wanted to. That's not me. That's on you, God, you know? But um, Paul has to correct them, saying, no, no, no. Careful, careful, careful. We don't regard anyone according to the flesh. But then... Paul says this crazy statement, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Now, the word regard and known are similar. And the word regard right here is the Greek word oida. And that's where we get more mental reflection. I, I know about President Trump. I have known about President Obama. I've known about President Reagan. I've heard about President Clinton and Lincoln. I've heard about them. I'm aware of them. I've thought about them. I have a mental understanding about them, but I've never really had a personal experience with them. I really don't know them and been in their inner circle. So I even saw a little Facebook a video of President Reagan and trying to think back about President Reagan. And even though I was just He's the first president I remember. But just even thinking about him and this, and there's a little video of him and trying to remember his policies and what he stood for and all that. I have an understanding. I know President Reagan, but it's just a mental. I know about President Trump. I know about President Barack, all this. I have an understanding about that, but I really don't know them personally. The Greek word, you may, this, may have heard this in the past, or maybe it might be the first time, there's the Greek word gnosko, which is also no. And this means more of the experience, uh, uh, um, being with them, experiencing them, knowing them, being with them, and having a greater, deeper, maybe intimate, just a more of awareness, uh, uh, knowledge about this. And that's the word gnosko. And he says this, even though we have not gnoskoed Christ according to the flesh, I'm sorry, we even known Christ according to this flesh. Now, that's a crazy thing, statement because how can someone experience Christ in a way that's very personal but even be wrong? Of course, again, flesh in natural ways. Paul here did have a relationship with Christ before he became born again. If you remember, he fought against Christianity. He was a zealous zealous, zealous Pharisee. He was a zealous Jew. He was a Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he had a, an understanding, more than a reflection, but he just had this, this under, false understanding, this knowledge of God according to the flesh, but he hated Jesus. He hated him. He was in the natural man. He was in the flesh. But he had a, an experience with him, but it was just wrong. But that's how he saw Jesus. And oftentimes, people before they know Jesus, they have an understanding of Jesus, but they even have a false, false walk or understanding of him. They're anti-Jesus. They're everything they're against. They, they don't understand the cross. They don't understand morality. They can't stand it. And Paul would even say, we have known him according to the flesh. But then, as we know, he had that born-again experience. And he, as he met Jesus on that Damascus road, and then he says, but now we know him, thus no longer. So there obviously there was a change in Paul's life. 
as he became adamant against Jesus, he became adamant for Jesus. Why? Because we've seen this, and in Romans, he experienced the great love of God personally. The love of God, the love of Jesus, changed Paul's life. So now, with that, with that mindset of Christ, he now views others according to God and not to the natural man. And now he has to shame them in a way. We don't regard others in the flesh. Regard others in the spirit. I used to regard Christ and I used to regard others in the flesh. But now we don't. And here's the tricky part. It's possible, and I was reading it and reading this one commentary, trying to figure it out then. It's possible that if we're not treating the brethren, even in our church, as God would want them to, and we see them with any spiritual hierarchy over them, or pride over them, over something about them we don't like, and then we just kind of build a grudge, then we're knowing these people in the flesh. We're knowing them how the world treats each other. And that's very danger and past. Of course, we pray for those we love and we admire, and we, you know, there's some people, oh man, I'm praying for you, but for some reason we don't even think about or we harbor it. And it just becomes, you know, it's passive and then we don't even think about it. But we, and out of the abundance of the heart, we speak. And oftentimes, out of the abundance of the heart, we don't pray. We don't appreciate. We don't love. We don't consider. And we, we see them as the fleshly man does rather than as the spiritual man, the mind of Christ does. And, and I was thinking about John, and here he is, you know, he's 16, you know, and the natural man, and of course he's kind of loud, he's brash sometimes, for those who know him, got more energy than a bunny, right? High strung, got a baby out of wedlock, all this stuff. So there's, and they're like, and you know, of course he might be an age gap, and all this, so there's natural ways just kind of hold him off, right? That's good for you, whatever, kid, whatever, moving on. And that's the, just the natural man, just kind of hold him aside, or if just he just grates me, or you just kind of hold him at a distance, or we hold others at a distance. And that's the natural man. That's, if we don't appreciate them in the church, we kind of hold them back. We have our nice little buffer zone, and at least I didn't think bad thoughts about him, Lord. With the mind of the Spirit, the mind of Christ sees him just like as God sees him and says, you know what, yes, he's got some rough edges. You don't know his background. You don't know his upbringing. You don't know if he had a dad in his life or not. But there is value in him, and he's useful to me. He's value in him. Yeah, you don't have to like him, but he's useful. We've got to love him and be patient. And trust me, the mind of God sees him here. And in the natural man, we just see him as he is right here. But the mind of God, the mind of Christ, sees him who he is going to become, maturing in Christ. And so in the body of Christ and in our church and other churches, and it's like we see each other as their strengths and weaknesses, but we see you as who you are in Christ long term, and we value that, and we appreciate that, and we pray for that. 
And here these, these Corinthians were doing it to Paul. They're like thinking like, whatever, Paul, you're just a, no, you, who, you just don't know anything, Dad, anymore. You're old fogey. What do you know? We've got the real angle to be super spiritual, you know? What do we, you know? And Paul's, no. We don't have the mind of the natural man about others. Because what happens is, because there's, there's other, another downlink from that. So when we see John, yeah, but we pray for him, who can he become? And of course, we want God to hold us to, to this. And remember how Jesus saw Peter. Peter, Peter. Satan wants to sift you as wheat. But he's right. I'm moving on. Andrew, how are you doing, buddy? You've always brought people to me. No. Satan is trying to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you. And later on, when you've come back to me, go encourage your brethren in Galilee. And later on, after the resurrection, he's a Galilee, and Peter's up there. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, love me? But what about John over there? Peter. That's between him and my. You, you follow me. So Jesus had that long perspective of Peter. He saw who Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, leading in the church. He saw him, who he would become. And it took time. And you see, just like even with uh, Joseph, the brother saw him as a little, just get this torp out of here, this snitch. He's nothing but a snitch. And what are snitches good for? <laughs> that's right. That's what snitches are good for. Ever been snitched on? And then they actually sold him to slavery. But then, 30 years later, they recognized him, not as a 17-year-old know-it-all punk, but as this cultured, educated, second-in-command of the world. Moses, 40 years old, up and strong, Charlton Heston. And he would be our equivalent as The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, right? You know, my, also my, my triplet, he's actually my triplet. And all this, the only difference between him and I, he's got better teeth. Uh, and that's how the world sees him. And that's who, we, that's who Moses was. You know, nothing's going to mess with him. Jumanji again, sequel man. Always funny, gets, gets the muscles and has it all. But he's just totally in the flesh. God can't use him one bit. It's on the way to hell until he repents. And so that was Moses. So then God had to humble him 40 years in the desert. You're really just no one. You need to be humble have faith and become nobody because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. But God still saw him usable, but he had to be patient with him. That's the mind of God. And so we see John, what's he going to be? Praise the Lord. God's not done with him. The basic traditional diamond in the rough. You see a little pounding, a little pressure. He's going to be hopefully better. A little less, you know, John and more with the Spirit. But God's preparing him. And just, I, I think of Dave Shirley, uh, you know, back in the day, pastor, who saw me, and, you know, high, strong energy, always think he's funny, jumping off the walls. But there's something about him he trusted me with and gave me a little bit of ministry and used me, used and used me. Because I think he saw something in me that was in him back in the day. And so... With us and in the church, 
we need to be careful we don't see each other according to the flesh and as how they are now. But as we see each other, yes, we have the strengths and weaknesses. Yes, there's common sense. Oh, there's a, there's a situation here. We pray for it. But we see them as God sees them in the future, preparing them, using them, and, and being in the full potential of what God wants them to be. And as a parent, and sometimes you hear, I'm not going to too much on mamas, but sometimes, oh, you're my little baby. I wish my babies would never grow up. And we, we lock people in and this, this form, not the full potential. I got little corn stalks in my backyard, and I don't want to, oh, my baby little corn stalks, I hope you stay small and tiny, little shoots. And you, No, I want them to get tall and big and ugly and filled with corn on the cobs, because that's what they're about. They're made to have fruit, you know? And so we need to be careful we don't hold people negatively and see them in a negative or just this know-it-all thing but see them, they are filled with the potential for all the fruits and the spirits that God's got intended for them. And so Paul says, even though we have not known Christ according to the flesh, now we've known him thus no longer. And the danger, then the next step is, if we regard others according to the flesh, it's possible, very possible, that, as Paul said, I used to know Christ according to the flesh, there could be the result is that we're now looking at God in the flesh, according to the flesh. And what does that mean? Well, according to the Spirit is how we became born again, humble, repentant, divesting of ourselves like Jesus. And then slowly after a while, as the natural man, I use you according to I want to use you. We now view others as we you know how they, if we like them or not, we kind of use them for that. Is that an indication of what's going on in our heart with God? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And out of the abundance of our heart, we pray. And if we're viewing others according to the flesh, are we viewing Jesus according to the immature flesh. And that's often reflective how we treat others, how we think of others, and how it's reflective in our prayers. The prayer life should be worship, thankfulness for the cross, praise, pick up my cross daily and follow you and my needs. Jesus said, pray that you would pick up your cross and follow me. Meaning, the cross, what is your will, Lord, and not mine? Jesus didn't want to die on the cross, but he said, nevertheless, not my will, your will. Jesus didn't want to die on the cross and have the, the sins of the world on him. But the Father said, yes, pick up your cross. This is your cross. This is your mission. And so as we pray, we say, Father, we, we worship you and we praise you. Here are my needs. What do you want me to do? I want to do this, but what do you want me to do so I will lay down what I want 
and understand you know better than me, you want to use me, what do you want me to do? That's according to the Spirit. If we know God according to the flesh, our prayer life comes like this. Dear God, remove these crosses from me. Take away these issues from me. Take away these persons in my life. They bug me. They bother me. No, we don't quite say that verbatim, but that's the message coming through. Oh, Lord, again? And that's remove these crosses from me instead of, Lord, how can I pick up my cross, die to self, and minister to these people? How can I be like Christ to these people at work who are always negative, want nothing when the Spirit, cursing, foul mouth, sexual mouth, whatever, you know, or my neighbors, or my relatives, or my family members? Help me, Lord. And again, that's, that's the mind of Christ. Help me, Lord, to love them, not get even with them, think better than them, but see them as they could be in Christ. Now, I don't have the near future like you, God, but you see them as what they could be in Christ. Help me to see them as you do, and therefore, as the aroma of Christ comes upon them, that invites them to know you. And so what happens is then, if we have the mind of the flesh towards others, and oftentimes it becomes the mind of the flesh towards God. And look at these, that's what these false Corinthians were doing. They're trying to bring them away and have the wrong of Jesus, and they're using them for their own gain, using ministry for their own gain. And so Paul says, no, we have not known you through the flesh. We know you through the Spirit. And we need to be careful and be mature. And in our body, and we're not perfect. And so as we see each other, and we need to be careful, we see each other according to how Jesus sees them. And we see them in the potential as God would want them to be used and seen. And I was with a relative, I was on the phone and uh, talking, and, and one thing I like to do is just uh, read the Bible uh, uh, to her. Um, and so I said, Would you, is there something you'd like me to read? And she couldn't think of anything particular, so I, you know, let me read John 1.1. 1, 1. And so as I read John 1, it, again, it's just a breath of fresh air again. There's something beautiful about the chapter 1, and it's always fresh. And I was getting like a fresh, brand new presentation of Jesus again. And because Jesus is life, and even though I've been a Christian for a while and I'm serving and all this, there's no life in of myself. My experience does not make me a better Christian, more useful, but not more spiritual Christianese. My being a strong Christian is from Jesus every day. And so I needed, as I read chapter 1, thank you. I need to see you, Jesus, again. I need to have a fresh 
again, fresh vision of you, a fresh experience with you. So therefore, as I have that fresh experience again with you, I then have the right perspective towards others. And even ministering to people, even ministering, I should be loving, and it's like, oh my goodness, help me, Lord. He gives me grace to minister. He, again, reminds me to see the value of others, young and old. He reminds me to see he has great love for them, despite my limited understanding or what I think God could use them for. He's got the mind of God. So let's turn to John 1, and I'm just going to read the first 18 verses to have a fresh view of others, often we need a fresh view of Jesus. It says in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, that would be the Jews, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I have said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And these are the wonderful verses. And of His fullness, we've all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom Father. He has declared Him. And of His fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And turn to one more passage and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Again, a famous passage of Jesus. If you want a great passage, read the book of Hebrews and, of course, the revealing of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And back to verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and previously did not consider robbery to be equal with God. So Jesus divested what we call the famous word in the Greek, kenosis. He emptied himself. It's like Superman holding aside all of his superpowers and through another force was able to do what he did. And this is one of those things, those divine mysteries that we kind of understand yet kind of don't. But Jesus was fully God, fully man, and he did not act on his own power, but was baptized, remember, with the Holy Spirit. And always by the power of the Spirit, he fulfilled what God wanted him to do. And when he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, I don't want to do this but not my will, your will. He surrendered his will, picked up the cross. Why? To have all the sins of you and me in the world, all the nasty thoughts and actions and disobedience and rebellion upon him, took it upon himself and said, Father, Father, why have you... Where'd you go? The worst divorce in history, separated from the Father that we could then have his righteousness. And so Jesus always led the way. He never did something. He never asked us to do something that he hasn't done himself. He laid his life down for others so that they be no longer enemies, separated, now loved and usable and useful. Amen? All usable, useful for God now? So he was our example. So if we help us, Lord, with our church, just even today and tomorrow, help us not to have the mind of the flesh and see even in our church others as the natural man, the fleshly man. If, you know, for whatever reason, if I can't use you or hang out with you, I just kind of keep you at a distance. Or you irritate me. I may not publicly say it, but I kind of... But help me, Lord, to, as you, Jesus, saw me distant, later on usable, to pray and be gentle and kind. Help him or her, young, old, brand new off the streets. Pray for them, use them, encourage them, be that body of Christ, not according to the flesh. And if we hear gossip and other stuff, just quench it. That's not loving. Pray for them. Love on them. 
so that we would have the mind of the Spirit toward them. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray for John as a church. We're going to pray for him quietly, and then I'll say a prayer, and then we're going to pray for each other in the room. We're going to pray for those in front of us, behind, even those we probably don't associate with, you know, the little church, but we're going to pray for them and consciously choose to pray for them on the left and right behind them and allow the love of God grow, strengthen, encourage, and we'd see each other more as God wants us to see them rather than just how I see them every Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we just pray for John. You love that young man. We pray for him. We don't know all that he's been through. You love him. In the name of Jesus, protect him. Whip him in shape. Be with his a baby and his relatives on the side. And now just pray for him as you would want to be prayed for if you were 16. If you were 16 years old, how would you want to be prayed for? Or if you have a 16-year-old child, young, young person, how would you want him to be prayed for? And now pray for the people around you, to the left, to the right. You don't have to consciously look up and start staring and be odd. But just start praying for them. How would you want to be prayed for and pray for them this week? Pray for their relationships. Pray for their purity. Pray for their finances. Pray for their health. Pray that they be used greatly to be witnesses. So, Father, as we uh, close, thank you that you're very patient with us. We need to abide in the Word and in Jesus so that your patience of patience would develop for others. Long-suffering, self-control. Thank you for your great love. Help us to keep having fresh visions of Jesus who is so lovely, so wonderful. And we thank you that we know he's going to come back. Give us grace, Father. For you resist the proud, but you continue to give grace to the humble. In Jesus' name, amen.